Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 14 of the Classical Liberal Project, the official podcast of the Classical Liberal Caucus. My name is Joshua Eckel. I'm the uh, one of the board members at the Classical Liberal Caucus, and I'm joined today, as usual, by our chair, Mr. Jonathan Casey. Good morning or uh, good hello, afternoon. Hello. <clears throat> it is afternoon. Yeah. It feels like morning for some reason. <laughs> Good to see you again. Um, we also have a special guest today, uh, Mr. Tyler Harris. Tyler Harris is the former executive director of the Libertarian National Committee. Tyler, thank you for joining us. Um, I'm not sure if you want to give people any more background if I miss anything on your bio. Uh, sure. Well, it's great to be here. Uh, as you said, I was executive director of the Libertarian Party from uh, very late 2020 uh, through to about mid-2022. Uh, prior to that, I had various roles in the party's uh, uh, operations team, uh, most recently prior to being ED uh, as the uh, uh, deputy director of operations for the party. My career prior to working for the LP was in financial services. Uh, I was a, a merchant underwriting head and risk manager for a major company in the merchant services space, uh, uh, where, funnily enough, uh, background involved uh, doing a lot of financial analysis for uh, high risk and at risk uh, businesses. I went into small business consulting after that and then ended up with the party. Got it. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah, no, thank you for making time for us today. So obviously, um, the context of this podcast is going to be going over our recent health of the party report. And I think it ties back to Tyler's background in a great way, because Tyler not only has a history of doing analysis on this in his career, but he also has the background of being a staffer and um, working with the Libertarian National Committee and actually looking at these numbers day to day. So I think, Jonathan, not to speak for you, but I think our hope with having Tyler on the show today was to have his perspective on this report to check our work and make sure we didn't mischaracterize anything, do anything correctly, and we followed the right methodology. Uh, I don't know if you have anything to add in that regard, Jonathan, but that's I think the way. No, I that's it. that's exactly why Tyler's here. He's going to help uh, help take a look at things and kind of give a, a perspective that, especially as somebody who's been on the inside of the party, you know, for a number of years, he can kind of show that perspective and say these are the numbers that I looked at when I was executive director. This is what's concerning about this these numbers or what's not concerning about these numbers that you know he can kind of provide some of that that analysis that we are we're looking at from from the outside we we had i mean probably eight or nine people that contributed in some way to the report um and they you know probably 50 years of experience combined at least uh across the libertarian party so we had a lot of a lot of people looking at it and helping out with these numbers and looking at what was going on uh so i think it'll be good to kind of have, have his perspective as well on some of these things. So I'm, I'm excited to get into it. Good. Okay. Well, I'm going to hand it off to you to also frame the report, but just for everyone who maybe has not been paying attention about a week ago, the CLC released what I think is going to become an annual health of the party report And the purpose of this report was to basically tell the public um, what, how, how the health of the membership data or the, the membership base, the health of the party, and basically dig into the specifics, the specific trends that are driving party growth or party uh, basically, uh, you know, the numbers that drive party success. Um, the report was viewed over 100,000 times on social, um, and it did get a lot of attention. I'm probably understating that a little bit. There were a lot of questions that came out of that report when it was released. And so I think our hope, Jonathan, was, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, is to, to address a lot of those, those questions, talk to Tyler about it, go line by line, and get into the specifics. So I'll let you kick us off. Yeah, I think I'd start. I'll pull it up here. Um, 
I'll have you kind of walk through, Josh, uh, walk us through the report and look at these charts and, and we can talk about it. But I kind of want to start off by two two main things that have kind of been thrown back to us as far as um, as far as criticisms or critiques or disagreements on how we view things. Uh, the first one being inflation, whether or not we should have adjusted for inflation. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a bit ironic to me that the same people who said that the old guard did everything wrong, everything horrible, but then now say, well, we should do the reports exactly like the old guard did. The, the issue is, is when you have a small business, when you have a business, you're looking at one or two, three, four years, pretty much at the max. You're not really comparing yourself to 10, 15, 20 years ago. And so when you are comparing yourself to this, especially when you're, in, you're doing a two-year cycle, a four-year cycle, those cycles go start going further and further and further back. So to not just for inflation just doesn't make any sense because it, it, it provides the real true value of the dollars that you're being given, the cost to your uh, to, to members that they are willing to give to the party. It's a true measurement of what people are willing to give to the party. So um, there's some argument about whether or not, well, we haven't raised our prices for, for membership, but in reality, the price for membership is really just a minimum suggested price, a minimum suggested donation. It really doesn't, it really doesn't have much more effect than that. A lot of people, in fact, I'm not exactly sure of the numbers because they haven't released it. Um, many people do give way more than the minimum. Um, yeah. that's, that's the nature of a political party. And this isn't a business where we're selling a good to people that's changing in price along with inflation. This is, this is a service. This is a, um, this is a, this is a charitable organization almost of where we're providing a service to people that they can, they, that they're putting money into and they feel like they're getting money. They're getting some kind of return of their investment. That's not a physical good. Um, so that, so I think that not accounting for inflation, particularly when we're looking at numbers that are 10, 15, 20, 30 years back, it just makes sense to look at inflation. It's so I, yeah, I want to take a step back for the sake of the audience, make sure that they understand fully what we're about to jump into. So what you're seeing here is the first page of the report, and we're going to go line by line on each one of these charts. Each one of these numbers were adjusted for inflation and to Jonathan's point. It's right. the point of that was to basically, we're looking at 30 years of data. So we want to make sure that it's accurate and we're, we're comparing apples to apples. So that's, you're going to see that trend in every report. Um, but before we jump into it and go line by line, Tyler, I know that that, in, that inflation comment was the number one piece of criticism that I think we heard over and over again. So do you have any commentary to add to Jonathan Casey? Yeah, I, I kind of, I want to jump in on what you were talking about, Jonathan, and there's actually a lot to unpack there and I'll try to be brief because I know we have a lot to get to. Um, but certainly you guys have made a methodological choice. Uh, in adjusting for inflation, right? Like there's a clear decision point. You're applying it consistently throughout the, the report. I think given, you know, it, the choice you made speaks to what your data is now going to say, what the scope and scale of what you're looking at is. I think it makes a lot of sense if you're going to be looking at today versus 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that your inflation adjustment is, is going to put those in terms of roughly comparable purchasing power. Right. right. And so, uh, you know, as, as long as it's applied consistently throughout, I think that's consistent with what your report is going to say. Now, is that the methodology that I as executive director would would use if I wanted to compare my April numbers to my uh, to my March numbers or my February numbers or my January numbers? Of course, of course, you, you're not inflation adjusting on a micro scale when you look at business metrics like that. So I, I think there is a you get down into that real zoomed in version. Uh, it, it it may make sense to pull back and just look at nominal dollars. Uh, you know, look at uh, you know has donorship grown. Obviously, if you're going by headcount, you're not. There is no inflation conversation there. Uh, but if you're talking about donor dollars, there's a lot that 
that can impact that. And I do want to speak a little bit also, and I'll be very brief on it, but to the point, this idea that dues have not increased. Uh, uh, there, there's been a lot of discussion that I won't rehash about whether or not that makes sense as a commentary on inflation in general. Uh, but more specifically, I just think it is uh, only narrowly correct for those basic bylaws defined sustaining member dues, what, what most Libertarian Party members know as a basic membership uh, package, that $25 uh, annual membership. Uh, that has not increased. Pretty much every other member tier has increased historically over the course of uh, you know, if you look back, I think the last uh, uh, increase would have been two years ago when the premium membership level was added at $60 to replace the old bronze level at 50 and bronze got bumped up and everything else got bumped up into different member tiers. I think there was another adjustment, certainly to the branding of tiers. I'm not sure off the top of my head to the pricing in 2018. So these are things that have happened at regular intervals. And of course, if you want to look at the, that's the bottom of the scale, the middle of the scale, and now go up to the top of the scale, uh, the FEC, of course, of inflation adjusts the maximum contribution that the party can take. So if you want to have a conversation about large uh, donorship and you want to look at it in dollars, um, there, there actually is a real sensible reason why you might cycles to cycle to cycle uh, back across several election cycles, want to inflation adjust uh, to have a conversation about major donor dollars coming in. So there's, it, it's a slightly more complicated question, which is unfortunately going to, I think, be a motif today as we talk about a number of these things, is that there's a lot of nuance uh, that the sort of simplified, punchy Twitter argument is going to miss. Uh, but I think that it's a very sensible choice to inflation adjust something that's going to look uh, large in terms of, of how long you want to look back on the calendar. Uh, and it's just important to read the report with that in mind, knowing that the numbers are inflation adjusted and that's what they mean. They don't mean the same thing as nominal numbers would mean. Makes sense. Okay. So that's yeah. great commentary. Great the other commentary. Thing, yeah. No, that's that's a really good point. I, I was not aware that the other membership tiers have increased. So that does kind of do away with that argument that, well, nothing's changed. Well, pricing has changed. If you're going to look at it as a as a customer model where you're price, charging a price to customer, it has changed. Yeah, and I do think um, there are flaws in looking at it that way. But if you are going to adopt that worldview, that right, we're, that it's been static right. since whenever the $25 uh, was. Right. And this, even that has raised, oh, since 1971, even that has gone up. But it has been 25 for a very, very long period of time. Right. Uh, but the other stuff has gone up as well. Yeah, and we are in a, this report. We are trying to give a historical accounting of where the party is. And to do that, you kind of have to adjust for inflation. Um, moving on to kind of the second critique that I've heard is us going with a more with a um, uh, two years uh, two year cycle as opposed to a four year cycle. Um, so one of the reasons we did that was because the recency of the data is more important, right? What happened in the early '90s, what happened in the late '90s, what happened in the early 2000s is far less important and far less informative on where we should be today than the past 10, 15 years, like. That, that, I think, should be very clear to everybody. So if you're going to end up with going with a four-year model, if you're going to go with that four-year, you can look at the chart here that we've got pulled up on the screen. If you could zoom in a, yeah. a little bit, Josh. the Basically, you have got basically you can look at it here. You see a few spikes on the 20, uh, 2020 election, 2016 election, and 2012. The 2012, there's no spike. Uh, but those are the presidential elections. You can see that typically they're higher. Um, but overall, there's really not a four-year, as much of a four-year cycle. There's not as much of an impact on libertarian party financials 
as there are for the Republicans and Democrats. That's just a historical truth. So we decided, again, going back to, we decided across the entire report to adjust for inflation, we wanted to find the set time period to, to apply uh, 2020 numbers, well, I should say 2020, 2020, or sorry, 2022, 2023 numbers. Uh, so basically the year since Reno, and we wanted to apply that and look at uh, a consistent set of data, consistent set of years. So we went with the two-year cycle. And again, this is a method methodological choice uh, that we made we made that choice and you can judge that choice we are trying to what we're trying to do is we're trying to provide an accurate look at the health of the party and I think that this report does that you may disagree with our methodolo methodological choices in fact we, we add an add an addendum at the end of this report specifically based on that well we should have compared it to the four years guess what if you compare it to that four-year cycle you end up at the same conclusion that we did that this report does regardless of whether you go with the two-year cycle or the four-year cycle you have to come up to the same conclusion that we did in this report is that the recent especially the past nine months are basically behind are basically the worst in 30 years that it doesn't matter whether you report look at it at four-year cycles or two-year cycles that's the that is the summation of this report is that we are at 30-year lows um it, it like it doesn't get much more clear than that. Now you can say, well, if you adjust for inflation, guess what? I'll show you a chart at the end that'll show that if we don't adjust for inflation, guess what? The past three months are still thirty-year lows, uh, even not adjusting for inflation. That's crazy. So, so regardless of where you what you know what method, method methodology you want us to use, whether you use it, please feel free. We we published all the data in this report because we exact we want this information out there. We want people to do their own analysis of it. Do your own methodology on it and come up with come up with a report that says something different. Because basically, no matter how we crunch the numbers, no matter how you crunch the numbers, the results still going to be the same. The party's in really bad shape. Uh, that's that's the that's the bottom line of this report, um, and that's what we're trying to show here. And that's and we're trying to get people involved in the Libertarian Party and say, hey, listen, if we want to turn this thing around. If we want to get some success and get some true growth in this party, or it's going to take all of us to get involved and and and, and take action. So, okay. So the party's sick and Tyler, I think you were going to jump in with some yeah. commentary. I was going to say, I think it's time for us to go line by line here, but did yeah. you have something to add before we do that? I can just briefly speak to that second issue of methodology that you brought up um, in terms of the two-year and four-year cycle. Uh, I think that, uh, again, it's a case of what you choose to look at is going to be better or worse suited to looking at different aspects of the Correct. financial health of the party. Correct. So, and that's actually more extreme than just the conversation of two years or four years. If I wanted to have a deep dive when I was executive director, if I wanted to do a deep look at our uh, monthly membership, we had a heavy emphasis on growing monthly pledge membership during my tenure. And so we tracked that, you know, I, I would want to track that on a 30 day cycle uh, because I would want to know month to month what how those monthly pledgers are growing. Uh, if I wanted to look at raw membership headcount, I think it's very clear that there are strong four-year cyclical trends, at least going back to 2016, and it makes sense to look at the membership picture in the context of that four-year yes. cycle. I, I think I, those, are, those are less strong when you look at top-line revenue, and I think there is every reason to believe that top-line revenue should be something, because it's impacted by major giving disproportionately compared to headcount, uh, reason to look at a two-year instead of a four-year cycle. There, there's information that can be gleaned from both. And so there's a real continuum of how you want to do this analysis. And uh, I think the more interesting uh, point that you that you touched on very quickly was the offset of the year that you've applied in this report. And now, so all of the internal reporting that the LNC uh, is doing, and certainly that I was doing in my time at the LNC, and I suppose I should caveat and maybe should have done this up front uh, 10 minutes ago, but 
Uh, I am not privy to any inside information. Uh, my role is purely as a past staffer with the LNC. So anything I say here is based on my personal experience and uh, all the public data that's available. So nobody should construe anything I'm saying as, as a window in uh, to how the LNC is currently operating, um, because that's not a window that I can provide. But, uh, but I would be expecting that when they do a historical analysis and in all the reporting that's released, it's a January to December fiscal right. year that aligns with the calendar year. What you guys have chosen to do, and what I think is really fascinating, and will be a great segue, Josh, to us going through these graphs together, is to shift that and say, let's look at the prior 12 months um, from today. Uh, to give us a, a a more current look on where things are right now, not where things were December thirty first, uh, but then also to capture the full year since since Reno. So effect, effectively taking that convention revenue and expense and that that convention driven disruption to the data, and placing it as effectively a start point, and then looking at trends from there. Um, right, and and just to be just to kind of another caveat. Not all conventions were in May of every year. So there were some conventions in June. Uh, so it's kind of split between those two. Um, so it's not going to be 100% aligned with every single convention cycle and every single convention, you know, post-convention success, failure, growth, strength, whatever. Um, but it but it's about as accurate as, as we can get. Uh, and, and so uh, pretty much all data in here is really on that May to April year. So essentially think about it like this, the post-Reno year um, applied every two years back. That's that's generally how this report will go. Um, and one quick thing on on looking at two versus four year cycles. You're right. The four year cycles is far more important for membership because that does include the presidential. So we do grab that. We do gain quite a bit more members during a presidential cycle. That does in the reason why the, in our membership section you'll notice that we include all that data. Yeah. So we don't try to just focus on those two year cycles. We actually include all of the data so that we we do prevent some of that bias from coming in of that presidential election in there. So yeah. we include all of those so that everyone can see all of the data right there, right there in front of them. But we'll get to that section. And, and well, I was going to point out we're having this conversation over a photo of a graph that is year by year. Um, yes. Yeah. Right. So let's start. Let's dig into it, Josh, if you want to kind of start start the conversation here. Yeah, I was going to say, do you have anything you want to add, Jonathan, specifically about this chart before we move on to the others? Because uh, no, this is every every May to April year for the past 30 years uh, adjusted for inflation, as it should be. Sue yep. me. Tweet at me if you're mad about that. <laughs> I've been tweeted about it all weekend, so you're good. Uh, but yeah, as you can see, the, and then this is just a five year rolling average, uh, which basically just says this is uh, the past five, the average of this year and the past four years. Uh, those four, that, that five year period is what it's showing up the black line there. So you can see we're quite a bit behind uh, on that on that average, the furthest behind since 2006 uh, behind that average. So uh, let's let's get into it. OK, um, quarterly revenue versus five year election average. I think that's yes. going to tell a similar story here. Yes. So this is uh, again. So this is not the same five-year average that we saw in the previous chart. This is the five-year election average. So this is uh, going back every five years, the May to April year, uh, which basically and, and basically taking the average of the past five years, so those five election years, and and charting it out on the graph here. And you can see we have an average uh, first quarter. And again, these are May to April quarters, not yearly year year quarter one, quarter two uh, of your of your uh, financial fiscal year. Um, so as you can see, we start off pretty good. We start off at average with the convention, yep. quickly falling behind after that. Um, and then if we scroll down to the next chart, we will see that. Do you have we'll any see... before we before we do that? Yeah. Do we have any commentary on this little bump at the end of the year? 
Um, that is actually well. So we had a did have a max that November was was the election in November. There was a max a max donation of thirty six thousand five hundred. If I remember okay. correctly, is that the right? And is max? that it? Looks like that in and of itself contributed. That was part. That was a large part of it. So okay. you can see that large donations really make an impact, and getting those max donations is extremely important for the health of the party and getting uh, getting funds in as as you would expect. Um, so that that is that is part of partially that bump. Gotcha. Uh, so this chart is a comparison and this one we wanted to show that even with an election in the middle of this may to april year we still hit rock bottom um look you can start in may in may we start off again this is these are adjusted inflation adjusted numbers you can start off right in the middle of the pack by august we hit the rock bottom of of, of the past 30 years and people are like well you're comparing it to you're comparing it to presidential years you're comparing it to mid to non-election years yes for a reason, we're comparing it to those to show you we're not even with an election in the middle of the year, we hit rock bottom. Yep. So this is this is 30 years of data that shows all of it up there. Uh, people also say, go ahead, Tyler. Well, I was, I was just going to point out that this is a very easy chart to adjust for anybody who may disagree with that methodology, because what you're talking about is you say, oh, you know, well, presidential election years, of course, there's going to be a lot more quarterly revenue ramping up to a presidential election. Let's even presume that those are those top years on the charts. Great. Mm-hmm. Ignore those years. It's still yep. the bottom line. Uh, let's yep. say, you know, you say, oh, um, you know, uh, you, you, this year's bad for this reason, or this year's bad for this reason, or that one shouldn't be counted because of a special circumstance. Okay. Imagine those lines gone. Uh, I think it, uh, of everything you produce in the report, this is one of the more stark, uh, I mm-hmm. think, illustrations of the problem. Yes. Uh, and and I think there are perhaps better charts later that we can get into that might help this, us diagnose the problem, right? Uh, and why it's occurring, and what what maybe could could help uh, could help ameliorate that. But this this was jarring to me when I first saw it. Um, yes, as it should be. We are trying to draw attention to the fact that the Libertarian Party is in a bad shape. Now, people say you don't don't you shouldn't have adjusted for inflation. Okay, let's take a look at this. This is that same chart without inflation adjustment. Yeah. And you can see the exact same thing. You see that in the in the the blue numbers and and kind of spread out all all up and down the chart. You can see that in the 2000s these these yellow uh lines where where uh this past year has gone down to those levels without adjusting for inflation and you can see that the green most of the green lines are above uh the red line so the the 2010s were above this. So and, and at the very end here, you can see that we have been reduced to 90s levels, not even accounting for inflation. So that this right here tells you part of the story. It doesn't tell you the real dollar uh, uh, at where we are actually at, where the party is actually at, like the other chart does. I'm going to go to this next this next one here. And this takes out and this shows you just the midterm. So this is the four-year cycle. And again, you can see we're right at the bottom. Yeah. Um, so this is not adjusted for inflation, so it's not as accurate as as the chart we, we're going to go back to here. Uh, this is the actual chart. This is the this is the where the party is at in terms of real dollars. And I think it is important that we realize where the party is at, because if we don't, we're not going to have a solution to fix it. We can pretend things are OK, but if we don't actually address the issues, and don't actually see have a real world view, a real grasp of where the party's at, we're not going to really be able to 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 address it. So I wanted to kind of bring those those other charts in there to show no, that, 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 hey, that even if you look at the adjustment for inflation or if you take out the adjustment for inflation, the numbers still look really bad. Yeah, that's absolutely powerful. Thanks for pulling that up. Let me pull this other one here. Yeah. Um, 
monthly revenue versus five-year election average. <clears throat> Any commentary on this one? Yeah, I mean, you can see the effects of the of the convention. It was a very good convention. You can see that it was quite a bit higher than your normal. Uh, the past five May uh, Mays of election years have has been. Um, but it quickly falls off to July, and by July you end up at half the average. Yeah. Um, and this is going to be the story throughout that you have a good, a good, really good first month, an average second month, and then by the third month you're basically at half of fundraising of of the average. Uh, there's just no matter how you look at the data, this is what it shows. And the you, same you thing look, for November. Was that that max donation that we're seeing here as well? And that's uh, yes, November. Yes, you can okay. see that thirty-seven thousand dollars. And again, some of these we we replicate these charts that uh, look at the uh, at midterms only at the very end. We'll glance over those. This was in the amendum uh, based on recommendations by uh, the Libertarian Party Chair Todd Agopian, who criticized that we looked at two-year cycles. But if you look at the four-year cycles, we look at the four-year cycles with this chart. We'll do that at the end, um, and you'll see that the results are the same. I think uh, it's interesting here also that that. Um, November, the actual month of the November elections, that, that November is on average. And you so, mentioned earlier, Jonathan, that uh, that November also had uh, was the practically the only month within the identifiable data set that you're mapping here that had substantial major giving. And I suppose to explain to those who are wondering uh, how would one know that based on the information that is publicly available? It's because the revenue is broken out in the publicly disclosed financials into different line items for fundraising, including major gifts, chair and board solicitation, executive director solicitation, that sort of thing. So when you can see that, um, uh, that there is a max contribution value in that major solicitation line that, that, um, that tells you that there is major giving activity. Uh, notably, that activity absent the rest of the months, and and I think this chart more than most of the others really illustrates the difference between uh, how how you make that average in the month where that's part of your fundraising mix, and and you're really missing the averages where that's missing from the fundraising mix. And just just a quick point of clarification about FEC reports: uh, the so the October, November, December of election years are not exactly in line with the calendar October, November, December, right? So they're a little bit offset. The November is actually wider. I forget, sometime in the near the end of October to sometime might be end of November into December. So that's why you see a dip in the average of October is because they're actually only reporting about 20 days. Uh, okay. That's how the FEC report does it. If you want more information, the uh, methodology and data section in this report goes over exactly what dates they uh, should align to. It, it shows exactly how all those reports do. So if you have more questions, that's the section you should read uh, but we should probably, uh, before we get into all that, let's move on before everyone gets bored. Because, man, that FEC stuff is, is quite Yeah. Bad. Okay. So. Um, also, monthly revenue versus the past 15 years ranked. All, really powerful chart, too, here. Yes. Can you talk about that one? <clears throat> Again, it, you can't cherry pick this data. This is all the data. We can't cherry pick it. This is all of the data. This is every single month going back in the past 15 election years. So that May to April comparing it to every other May, to every other June, July, every other month, and where it ranks as far as, as far as, how, uh, you know, revenue. Um, and as you can see, the past four months have hit the bottom. August was also at the bottom. July was the second worst. It's not pretty. Um, but I, again, this is a chart to show you this compared to all other 15 months. And we went back to 1990. That's really when the FEC, uh, that's when the FEC, reporting stops there's another you can go back and look at older reports but we didn't really find that necessary so we kind of just stuck with it 
yeah, 90 so, and 92 and forward. That's worth repeating. So in the last 15 years, five months, five of the worst. So this is past 30 years of only the election years. Oh, I got it. Okay. So this so, is this it. is just the this is just the you know the years that had an election, either presidential or midterm. Equating yeah. apples to apples in a sense, five apples of the worst. And again, years, yeah. again, you can say, well, you should have only you've compared it to midterms. Okay, erase you. You know, you can you can you can do this yourself. We published right. all of the data. You can chart this out yourself. And determine it for yourself, and not look at the and not look at the uh, the presidential terms. And sure, you wouldn't have as many lines above the yellow line, but yellow line's still going to be at the bottom. Yeah, five of the worst fundraising months in history. So, um, okay, in thirty years, yes, yeah, absolutely. So, um, good to move on to the next one. I think so. Okay. Yeah, this will be the membership. Which again, you'll notice that we in this membership section, like I mentioned at the beginning, the membership is far more. Um, reliant on the four-year cycle. So you'll notice that we do include all of the data. We, we just put it all in there. Our month-to-month -month data only goes back for the membership, for general membership, only goes back to 2003. So that's when we were that's when we were limited. We looked and asked all over the place for further back. Uh, but before then, you really only have like the December of each year. Uh, so that's why our chart, again, we start off every section by showing you all of our data in one chart. Like that's that was the one thing that we absolutely wanted to do because then you can't say, oh, well, you only wanted us to look at one section. Sure, we want to zoom in and look at 2022, 23 and say, okay, how does that compare? Uh, but we wanted to show you exactly what happened. And you'll notice um, as we scroll, as we go ahead and scroll down here, you'll see, oh, you can actually stay back on the chart. You can yeah. see right here, first half of uh, 2022, 23, membership was pretty steady. Now notice that a lot of the, a lot of the financials fell off immediately within two months at three months after Reno, financials had hit pretty much bottom because right, June, August was the worst month, worst August ever. Um, so it starts off right off the bat, the numbers, the financial numbers just plummet, but the membership doesn't do this. So you can see right here, the first half of the year starts off pretty good. It's actually pretty average. It's, it's, yep. it's floating right around, uh, right around 0% growth. But then we'll get to the beginning of 2023 things start to fall off and we can scroll down here and, and start looking at it. Uh, before we scroll down, can yeah. can I can I talk a bit about this? Because I, I think I can add some color commentary to what we're seeing throughout uh, from the end of the 2020 election through 2021. Uh, you know, we uh, on staff during that time really appreciated and understood how uh, extreme the four-year cycle impacted our membership numbers in 2016, right? And, and, and how married to the election. You see it right here. Yeah, huge bump in, in, in 2016. Uh, Jorgensen uh, had a fantastic, uh, for, from a membership perspective, whatever you think of the campaign writ large, it had a fantastic membership impact on the Libertarian Party. Our, our member count uh, at the high point from Jorgensen's election day performance actually exceeded the 2016 membership count, which you also see that the bump is a little bit higher. And it lasts uh, longer too, which was, I was surprised by the data, how long, well, much longer... <laughs> That 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 is that was our that was our mission as we conceived it for ourselves is to is to say we need to hold more of these members yeah. than the than the 2016 membership bump so so we need to retain more we need to retain them for longer we want we want the we want the bump to be wider we want the slope coming off of it to be shallower and we want the floor that we eventually hit to be higher than the 2016 cycle. And that would represent not just membership growth against the 2016 cycle, um, but you can almost think, I don't want to get too mathy, right? But if you if you if you imagine the area under that curve is is an, uh, a very, very rough approximate of membership 
uh, revenue being generated. So we knew if we could make that curve wider, if we could make that floor come up, so uh, if we could make that drop off shallower, uh, then that is more dues paying members continuing in that role for a longer period of time in a more substantive way that benefits the financial health of the party. Uh, and so I think you can see uh, that there is some success in that. Uh, we, we always knew there was gonna be a drop off after 2020, that's, that's, that's not surprising. Uh, but the floor did, uh, you know, did seem to come up. The, the one part of that plan that hasn't kicked in yet is where do you make the turn? Right. There has to be a turn where membership starts growing again, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, that turn into the 2024 cycle. Uh, and it, the, the really alarming part, uh, the acyclical part that this graph is showing, which I presume is why you have it highlighted in yellow at the end of the graph, uh, is that additional drop off that is that is right. not and really correlative to a large drop in the 2016 cycle. Right. That, that's something new. That's, that's right. And our uh, and further charts down go into this. So we'll, we'll get into that, exactly that drop. The one thing I, before we move on, yeah. I would actually like Tyler, a lot of people may not understand. One of the things that the COC has been looking at is, okay, what measurements do we need to actually accurately determine the health of the party? And one thing is, this is the call, this is the bylaws sustaining membership. And many people may not understand what that means and understand that that number isn't really truly indicative of just this month, what happens this month, because it can actually reflect what's happened a year ago. So if you could kind of explain what this number actually measures, I think that'd be really helpful for people going forward. What does this mean? What does a member actually mean? Because it's a little bit more complicated based on the way it's being re is reported by by uh, LP National. Right. So, uh, you know, um, this this may be a stealth candidate for the most controversial thing I say on this podcast, <laughs> but, uh, but membership headcount is a really bad KPI. Yeah. Uh, it, it, but it's the only one we have in this area. I, I don't know that that's true, uh, but but it, it is certainly something that we have the most historical right. data on because it is it's the top line of the membership report that, that the party has been publicly uh, reporting for a very long time. Uh, but it is uh, at the end of the let me explain the reason I say that. The reason I say that is not because I don't care about or value our members. It's because. Uh, it is an extreme lagging indicator of financial right. health. So you have different types of memberships that people have. You certainly have our monthly recurring members and you get pretty, uh, uh, you know, you, you can track their cancellations and their revenue and get pretty timely. You know, if somebody calls up and says, I want to stop my monthly membership, that's going to be reflected in a revenue wave right away. Mm -hmm. They don't drop off of headcount for another 12 months. Uh, so they remain a bylaw sustaining member for up to a year. I so if you're using that top line, just membership headcount number to track how many people are still in the party or is the party growing or is it shrinking or, you know, what direction is it moving in? You're getting an extreme lag to a lot of that data I, from, from the moment that your customer has made a values based decision to you seeing it reflected in a data point. That's one of the last data points to respond to that decision. Understood. So, so, so for we, me, revenue uh, revenue was always more centered when I looked at analysis and membership headcount was important. And you know, I, I just laid out some of our, our goals and vision as staff in terms of how we were trying to, as these graphs were being generated, how we were trying to move them in a direction we thought would be more beneficial to the party. Uh, but there's always an extreme lag in terms of, of actually reflecting your member decisioning in the business data that you're getting back on that raw headcount number. 
that's an excellent excellent explanation. I think that one of the things that CLC is working on is trying to figure out okay, what what metrics do we want to propose that the Libertarian Party should be reporting on that are more reflective of month to month membership changes, right? So that you know, bylaws sustaining members kind of has to be a defined thing, right? That is defined in our bylaws, but we can have other measurements that the Libertarian Party reports on that actually gives an accurate month to month. Okay, we're losing members, we're losing th- we're losing this many members, we're gaining this many members, and shows us a, a real true sense of of who's joining the party and who's leaving the party. Because the bylaws sustaining members was very rough. Um, rough and and delay, like you said, it's delayed up to a year. Um, measurement of that, so that is something that we, you know, at the CLC, hopefully by the end of the year, before the next convention cycle, we can start putting out there and say, here's some ideas, here's some ways we can actually really truly measure health of the party in terms of, of membership that isn't delayed, that is doesn't have these issues. Um, it's just a way to really get a sense of the health of of the party. So let's keep moving. Uh, let's do it. Um, monthly growth, April yeah. from election year. Can you explain to the people, uh, to the viewers yeah. why so, it starts at the same point here? How that yeah. Works? So this is basically, uh, a month before convention it shows the growth of the, of the convention in May, then goes, then tracks it from there. So everything is based off of whether, where everything is from the month prior to, uh, the Reno, uh, convention. So you said you've essentially, and you can see this is, this is every year that we have data uh, going back uh, every year that we have monthly data of membership data, which goes back to 2000. Uh, 2003 and here we show the again to every two-year cycle and again if you don't like that the if you don't like that the uh that the uh that it's not four-year cycle guess what it is here you can just take out the ones you don't like compared to that fine still shows that uh the only year that was worse than this in terms of membership growth uh was 2014 so you can take that you can take that for what you want 2014 was a really rough year yeah um go back up to the other chart above it you can kind of see where 2014 uh, you can see 20, the dip in 2014 before the Gary Johnson campaign. Uh, clearly, he made a huge difference, regardless of whether you liked him or Bill Weld. They made a huge difference in terms of getting the party uh, back on track, reinvigorated life. I hope that we can do see the same thing in 24, where we have a good candidate come out and really inspire membership to come on. But these numbers really kind of tell the opposite story about what's going to be happening over the next uh, next year, year and a half into the 24 election. And Jonathan, since you mentioned that big dip, I'm going to be a I'm going to be a chart integrity purist here. And okay. This, this is not an attempt to dunk on you guys, but I'm going to point it out for the viewership because the numbers are pretty small on the screen. Uh, your uh, your bottom axis occurs at the 10,000 member level. Right. So right. Some of these big dips, very clear. Like the party almost disappeared. Um, that that, that <laughs> is not an axis that is true to right. Zero. Yes, it's God. a lot. Yes. Yes. We, very, yes, that, true, we are not trying to hide it there. That is that's true. Both for the, that's true. Both for the, the, the effects that you're seeing highlighted in yellow are going to look larger in terms of total percentage movement. Um, and some of those dips earlier in the chart are going to look like larger total percentage movement because, because it is a cropped chart effectively. And so exactly. I, anybody who couldn't read the numbers along that left side of the chart, I want to, wanted to make that clear that's a good that's a good clarification that's good reminder so. uh anything on this one before we move to the next uh, one? go to the next chart because this will actually as you can see it's averaged through most of last year until the beginning of the year yeah, um and so we can see uh the chart on the right here um really starts to look at okay what's going on every every um every odd year here beginning of every odd year is charted out here in terms of growth uh month-to-month growth and as we can see this 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 year's growth, 2023 growth, goes way below 
what we've normally seen this time in the election cycle of any election cycle that we have data again. Again, it goes back to, two, uh, to somewhere in 2003. So again, that's what we're trying to show here. We're trying to show, wait a second, there's a weird drop here. Let's figure out what's going on. There's something, there's something here that isn't right that is different. And that's what's, that's the point of doing data analysis is to figure out, okay, what looks different? Why does it look different? Right. Um, so I think that, that that's what this chart shows. Membership was actually pretty good for a for a uh, um, for an off for a midterms. Um, but again, we're seeing this drop right at the very end here. The chart on the left here kind of shows month to month ten year average of election years. And again, you can see um, it's a concerning drop at the beginning of, of 2023. It started really in December of 2022, but um, it's it's something to be something to pay attention to and, and reflects, I think, uh, kind of the summation of our summation of our um, uh, summary summation of our summary of the report is that well, there are some things here that are concerning and we need to figure out ways to to kind of turn the party around so okay um any other commentary on these two before we move forward to the next I one i think we're i think we're good with these two okay uh total lifetime membership yeah it felt wrong to not mention this this was actually uh so this is charted out um over um, this is again, this is all the data we have month to month data we have on lifetime membership because so that goes back to about 2007. Um, before then, we don't have month to month, um, just the way it was reported back then. Again, I'd love to if somebody could pull out this data and send it to us, that would be amazing. Uh, you can kind of see again, 2014, even though we've mentioned how bad 2014 was in terms of overall membership it was actually really good it had a really good bump for for lifetime membership. Uh, you can also see 2016 had a nice bump. The drop in twenty, the January in twenty eighteen was a data correction. Oh, that's what um, I was so they corrected that they corrected yeah. some data. So that loss shouldn't all have happened on one month. It should have been happening over the years, but the data just hadn't been updated. Uh, okay. So in other words, somebody passed away, somebody left the membership, and it just wasn't reflected in the overall overall numbers. Um, it looks so like there was a is, similar downward trend coming on. Yes. Yeah, so. We have again. You can see the Reno. You can see the Reno Convention bump right there. Right at yep. Right where yep. your, where your yep. cursor is. Uh, so you had a really good bump there. I think it was the most total overall um, of any of any year. Yep. Uh, but we can scroll down here and we can actually see the percentage growth, which I think is an interesting chart. It was actually for again for a midterm. So you can see it was one of the best uh, midterms. Doesn't quite beat out the presidential years in terms of percentage growth, but it does in fact. Uh, it is in fact the best that we have record of as far as uh, midterms. And again, shows shows you kind of where we're at. That was actually a very good year for lifetime lifetime membership. But just like the membership data, the overall membership data, we see a start to see a concerning trend at the beginning of 23. So if we scroll down one, we can kind of take a look at this. Now I have, um, you can see here, we compare every single year. This is all the data we have on lifetime membership. So the first four months of every single year going back to as much data as we have. And you can mm -hmm. see that 2023 is at the end there with zero growth in lifetime membership. And that's just unheard of. We just have never, never seen that before. The minimum before then was nine, as you can see in 2015. But again, this is a really concerning trend that we saw along with membership trends with trending down at the, after the beginning of the year, where we saw that 12%, I think it was 11, 12% decline in membership in the past four months. Well, in lifetime membership, it's been completely flat. Now, to for those who don't understand, lifetime membership is you... You uh, pay the lifetime membership fee. You become a lifetime member for life. So the only way you can cancel that is either you die or you call in to cancel. Um, 
So what we've seen, what we're seeing here, we don't have the, we only in LP National, we have the numbers of how many people have called and canceled. I have several people have reached out to me to tell me that's what they have done. So I know that there is a cancellation. There are people canceling their lifetime memberships this year. Um, the, I mean, just take a minute. So essentially what this tells us is that as many people are canceling as are joining. And that well, is, that is concerning. So, so, so it's really important, I think, to, to, to put a point on, on what you've explained, because lifetime membership is one of those things that makes membership data um, awkward and clunky to work with in the LP because we have all these different member types. And these are, uh, you know, uh, as, as our bylaws as a party defined, these are members of the party. Uh, they, they have attained that lifetime membership. Um, if it has been obtained recently, it is at the level of giving $1,500. Uh, there were times in the past where that was as low as $1,000. Um, I, I don't know the exact year. It was before my time that that increase occurred. Uh, but at any rate, once you pay that that once, you know many of these people continue to be donors to the party. Many of them also do not. Uh, but regardless of that, that membership status remains active uh, once they've attained that lifetime member level. Unless Jonathan, as you said, um, unless they become deceased uh, or actively call in and cancel. And I can tell you how incredibly rare it is to have libertarians and I know, I know. call in and cancel their membership. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the only other thing that I can throw into the mix there, as you mentioned in the chart above this one, uh, is some sort of data collection. Uh, and right. so and that the, the LP be, National hasn't yeah. announced any sort of data co correction as of yet. They've had some issues with member numbers, but they haven't actually said, okay, we've, we've corrected some, some data on this. That combined with my knowledge of several, of multiple people who have canceled, who have called in and said, we were canceling our membership to national. Right. So um, I just want to recognize the full possibility right. space of what could occur. Um, it, it's worth noting that unless that correction is something that is affecting, you know, dozens of dozens of records, uh, you would expect that to maybe make the data inaccurate, but to, to drop it to or below zero yeah. uh, is is something that really merits looking into and, and implies that there is not a strong headwind of new yeah. lifetime members. There, there has never, the, let me put it this way. There's never been a, I went back and looked, there's never been a four month stretch where the membership growth, the lifetime membership growth has been zero. Yeah. Ever. No, no four month period has there ever been a zero growth. And that includes that one correction this. you pointed pointed out earlier. Uh, no, no, not that one correction. That would they went down by fifty members. So that was a major a major like, correction. That would be a big enough bump where if something like right. that were happening, it would look like this in the data. Other right. than that, it's 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 a lack of new members coming on at that level. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, this okay. This is an interesting section because it really kind of compares. Uh, compares financials and memberships and says, okay, how much are people each individual member giving? What's the average over it? Again, I wish we could die. I wish I wish we had more information on this. I wish we could look at exactly how much um, uh, members were giving and we could really dive into this. We're just having to look at raw numbers, rough numbers, public numbers. Um, but what it shows is that you basically got the white number there. It shows revenue per member and that is a monthly per month. The yellow line is a six month rolling average. And again, uh, again, this goes back to 2003 because that's when our monthly membership data starts. Um, and what what we see here is we had a fairly we had a fairly average beginning to the year, and you can see right after Reno that that six month monthly average donation per member 
So that's that's basically overall revenue divided by the number of members. And you can see right here that it drops to levels we've just never seen before. Um, if you scroll down a little bit, you can see the exact numbers you've got. Basically, prior to this in the past 20 years, we've never dipped below $8.33 per member. That's six month rolling average. Uh, and we are now basically at $6.38. So that's almost a 25% reduction in donate in the amount of donate, you know, amount of revenue divided by members. So that is a very concerning stat. Um, ironically, the only reason we have a bump at the very, very tail end of that six month average, uh, the only reason we have a bump there is because membership also dropped way down and, and financials went up, even though they were uh, still the worst. It was still the worst April in the past 30 years. The uh, members numbers did come down. So still, I don't see this number changing very quickly. This is this is going to be again, this is a rough level a rough, a rough estimation of really what's going on financially with each member per month. But it does give us a picture. Uh, that we've kind of it kind of combines the pictures of membership and combines the picture of financials that that have been painted by by the data. So I, we can I keep scrolling. this is probably one of the most impacted charts in your report um, uh, by your methodological decision to inflation adjust your numbers. Uh, right. I think it's very important to know what this is saying because of that decision and what this isn't. And what this is describing is the uh, average purchasing power that our members are contributing to the party right. per member. Uh, and, and that is something that's going to be distinct and different than if you tracked it in nominal dollars going back to 2024 against fundraising performance. So it's just important to understand that, that that's what it's describing. Um, and it's not necessarily describing, you know, the, the value package that they're purchasing or the tier that they're opting to bucket into or whether we have more uh, premium members versus basic members versus bronze members, like whether the membership mix is changing. You're, you're not really capturing that here because of the inflation adjustment in a way that's coherent. What you are capturing in a way that's coherent is the amount of their own purchasing power our members on average are donating to the party and conversely the amount of purchasing part power that that then confers upon the party to apply towards projects and programs sure. uh, on a per member basis good qualifier sounds, um, sounds good yep okay there, as we get into the fast five election year averages here um jonathan talks through this one here yeah so basically again this is this is a uh chart that shows okay here's the five-year average here's how far below we've we've ended up uh, so this is the past five election years. So again, the two-year cycle. Um, and it's, again, you can see the effects of the convention. And then quickly by July, we're at, at zero. We're at average. And then we quickly fall off to somewhere near $600,000 behind what an average election year would have been. Um, it's pretty self-explanatory. We fall pretty quickly behind on that. And I'm sure that's trends going to escalate. You have the same thing for membership. Here, same thing right? for members. This yeah. one is going to be less accurate because it, it does compare presidential cycles. And as we said, the membership cycles do work more on the four-year cycle. Uh, but this is still shows that we are down about 15% compared to uh, five the past five election years. So um, again, we start, we decided to stick with one set of the two-year cycle over ten, the past 10 years. And we've applied that across, um, across everything. Um, so that's 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 what this chart describes. Got it. Any other commentary on this before we move on? I think we're I think we're good. I think we're gonna hit the uh, ballot, ballot access, access report. So I just as a quick caveat, I should I wish I had mentioned here that there are several inaccuracies in, in this report. 
We didn't really want to spend a whole lot of time on it. We've actually got a lot of CLC members on the ballot access committee, yep. but they didn't want to, they wanted to be very careful about not revealing any private information for understandable reasons. You don't want to let Republicans and Democrats know what you're trying to do because obviously they're going to try to stop you. I think the main takeaway here uh, from this section really is that states, uh, state governments are trying to screw us. That's the main caveat. That's the main, the main issue um, that the Libertarian Party is facing, uh, especially in, in New York, they're having major problems. Illinois, they're having I, I, pretty much across the board. There are going to be ballot access issues. I, I you know, it's it's going to be a forever problem with 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 you know until we start changing the laws. Uh, it's going to be a forever problem. Uh, so we don't hold. We don't think that the Libertarian Party is responsible for those events. However, there are problems uh, that this LNC caused, exacerbated, however you want to put it, whether it's the disaffiliation of New Mexico, uh, the split in Michigan, the problems in New Hampshire, Massachusetts, those are issues that could have been solved, um, or at least some of them could have been solved by getting to the table and saying, hey, let's work together, let's figure out a solution and a path forward. I do hold leadership responsible for coming in and saying, screw you, it's our way or the highway. Well, and I mean, I think a, to take the highway. a lot of and people are very frustrated with the decision for the LNC to basically sue state affiliates. Michigan's an example. That, that yes. And we, and we get into that in our recommendation section. Yeah. That is that I think it's going to, I think that that decision um, is going to have a lot of harmful, uh, a really bad impact on the party's financials because nobody wants to donate to a party that's suing other libertarians. Absolutely. That's yes. Yeah. That's just so, sidestepping that and kind of refocusing on ballot yeah. access directly though. I think, uh, the the relevant transition here, or the relevant impact going from the financial data to this ballot access picture, uh, is that it it maybe nobody's fault uh, or Democrats and Republicans' fault if we want to put the blame correctly yes. for, for ballot access laws getting more restrictive and more difficult for us to work with. Our ability to combat that, whether it's yes. legally or legislatively or to comply with it to attain 50 state ballot access against a higher threshold or all of the above uh, are all proportional to the amount of resources that the party can mobilize in those fights. Uh, and most ballot access drives are, uh, you know, coordinated efforts in terms of the major drives that have really high thresholds where states uh, struggle to do them on their own as affiliates are collaborations between affiliates and national. And they're very resource intensive at national uh, resources. In this case, is ju you just translate it directly to money. Uh, <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is sadly right. the ballot access problems are, are problems that it takes cash to solve. Yeah, I mean, $5 a signature, what, 4 to $5 a signature is yep. what you're paying petitioners. So, yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's friendly petitioners who are getting yes. us sure. in the current petitioning environment. It's a lot more expensive than that when we have to hire. In New York, it goes way up from that. Market rate. New York yeah. goes, it tends to be very expensive. Again, like I share the reticence to talk about strategy or detailed specifics, but I think it is relevant to understand that those who care about 50 state ballot access should care about the financial health of the party because those two things are going to be directly correlated going into 2024. Yes, and if we're and if we're I hate to go back to this, but adjusting for inflation tells us how well we are able to fight these battles compared to past years. There has so, absolutely been inflation in terms of the cost yes. of petitioning. Um and and in fact, that cost has probably outpaced inflation. I'm sure it has. You, yes. you, have the, you have the rate of inflation hitting labor costs while you have the artificial 
sort of inflation created by the demand thresholds requiring yeah. more signatures, requiring more petitioning, uh, legislators, you know, legislating increased cost that we didn't have to bear in order to attain ballot access in those states. So, uh, yeah, ballot access has become a lot more expensive, making it that much more important that we mobilize dollars in that fight. So ignoring the challenges, or actually say ignoring the dissension, the Michigans and the New Mexicos, and just looking at states like New York and states like Illinois, where we're facing a really large uphill battle, it does look like the trend line right now towards 2024 is is a not a 50-state ballot access situation. I, um, I, I really doubt that we will have, I mean, it's going to be, to, it would take a miracle, right, frankly. Not to be defeatist by any means, but looking at the trend line right now, it does look like it's it's moving that direction. How historic, how, how long has it been since we, we haven't had that Tyler do you have any of that context because it's like like I know in 2020 and 2026 or 2016 we had the 50 state access right in 2012 yeah, I, was it a similar picture do you have any data before that I I believe I, I the intelligent thing is to say that I don't know yeah uh, I do believe that it fell slightly short in 2012 but this I believe so my direct experience with the party I'm now trying to recall facts rather yeah. than experience <laughs> Just wasn't sure if you had that off the top of your head. I, I, yeah, I mean, it is it is not something that is one of these things that has, you know, never happened, uh, you know, in the last 30 years. You know, sure. it, it, there have been cycles with less than 50 state ballot access. I can tell you it is incredibly legitimizing when we have it. Uh, and and you do see yes. performance impacted when we have it versus when we don't. I, I mean, just for simply from a narrative perspective, for a presidential candidate to be able to say I'm on the ballot in all 50 states or not. I mean, again, that's huge. Um, so that's a yeah. very good point. To it, make. It's, it speaks to seriousness for sure. Absolutely. Um, OK, so yeah. we, we've reached the end of the charts, right, Jonathan? Let's, you have anything? Yeah, you let's, um, yeah. let's kind of go to our conclusion. I recommend we'll have a link to the description, please. Read these through these conclusions. Um, I think that these are really. I think that these conclusions um, really speak to what we can look at as far as why these numbers are the way that they are. Why why revenue is set back thirty years? Yeah. Um, and frankly, it's because it's because you have a leadership that came in and said our way or the highway, and people chose the highway. Um, I think that it's clear that the, a lot of Libertarian Party members are are. Um, Quiet quitting the party. They're they're just like hands off. They're either donating the minimum or they're just they're just waiting to see what happens. And frankly, that needs to change. We need to get people involved in the party. Um, let's scroll down to the recommendation section. Um, I do kind of want to touch on a few of those. I think some people had some some questions about these. Uh, the first one is pretty simple. The LNC needs to look at why people are leaving, um, and actually not just look at why they're leaving. Act on why they're leaving figure out why they're leaving and figure out how to stop it. Um, yep. And so take a hard look at what's actually going on. Um, that's going to be really important. You, uh, you know what, before we actually get into the recommendations, there are two, there are two things I wanted to address um, first, and I'd forgotten about it after the end of the charts. Two things I wanted to address. One was the, um, uh, why we didn't have a section on here about, about uh, economics, about why that explains some of these issues. And two, why we didn't look at the CRM uh, issues for whether or not it caused whether or not it caused these decline in numbers. Um, the first one's easy as far as economics goes. Here, let me actually add this. This is a total raised by all party committees by the FEC, the FEC reported data by all party committees um, in May to April years. And you can see right here there is no major decline in the over the past year in donations to political parties. 
Um, and even if you look at this on a month to month basis, it shows the same picture. There's really no, there's actually an increase uh, over previous years, whereas the Libertarian Party has decreased by something like 50, more than 50% in months. The data is pretty consistent. The donations to party committees are at exactly the same level. So if we saw an econ ec economy wide downturn in donations to political parties, it would show up right here and it doesn't. Um, it shows that it's flatlined if you adjust for inflation. Yes, I adjust for inflation again. Uh, but you can see that it's flatlined over the past four or five years. Obviously, you can see the presidential spikes. You can see how much more uh, presidential a presidential um, to uh, you know to Republicans and Democrats how much more revenue they get over the presidential cycles uh, compared to that to the chart of the Libertarian Party donations. It doesn't really have nearly this this large of a, of an impact every four years. Uh, but you can see again, you can see that it's basically even across four years adjusted for inflation. Um, so there's really there is no evidence to suggest that there's an economic downturn that's responsible for for the party being at 30 year lows for fundraising. Um, so that that was one thing I wanted to address. The other thing was the CRM issues that they've been having that they've kind of pointed to. Again, these financial numbers dropped two months after Reno, three months after Reno. They were immediate. They were quick. Um, they started right off right off the bat. We we again we had a we had a section about the economy and ended up removing. We also had a section about the CRM and ended up removing it. Part of the problem is we we wanted this report to stick to publicly available information. We didn't want to go outside of that and stick to it. Um, also, we didn't want to go after staff. This is not a staff issue. This pro this is not because some staff made some choices. You don't have a fifty percent decline in revenue because a few emails aren't being sent. That's just reality. Absolutely. People are either excited to give to you, excited to join, or they're not. And we aren't seeing any excitement to donate or to join. Um, so you can so you can kind of take that both ways. Uh, at some point, I hope that the LNC issues a report on exactly how the CRM implementation went, what the effects of it were. Um, but at this point, I don't see it having as major an impact as, as some people seem to think. There was some impact, but I, I can't imagine it being accountable for more than a few or three percent of 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 change in revenue. Um, Jonathan, before you get too deep in, um, yeah. and and I get too biased by your recommendations, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think it might be a good time for me to jump in and uh, go for it. Share some of my conclusions from looking at it. Uh, so, you know. It, one way to approach data is to try to walk in kind of tabula rasa and say, what are these numbers telling me? But another thing that can be very, very helpful is to sort of hypothesis tests some, some known theories about what's going on. Uh, and so... Uh, <laughs> sorry, I, was, I clicked the wrong one. My bad. I felt very dizzy all of a sudden. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Go for uh, it. <laughs> uh, but it's a hypothesis, hypothesis test some theories that are going on and some, some of the big narratives. And you, you sort of, you, you spoke to the economic overarching narrative, the idea that this is a reflective of a larger macroeconomic conditions beyond the LNC's control. Uh, I don't think that seems to explain for the reasons that you covered uh, all of the trends we're seeing, and certainly compared to, to prior years that had similar economic conditions that were not ideal, you still see underperformance, particularly in the last four months. Uh, conversely, I think there is a, a narrative uh, that, uh, you, you have Mises caucus come in at Reno and like all of the all of the decent people left the party after Reno and took their money with them and it's been it's been hit from there. And I have to say, I don't think that's consistent with the data either. 
uh, what I, I don't see a massive exodus happening after Reno. In fact, we see a very good Reno in terms of financial performance of that convention. You do see a drop in the month or two that follow it. Uh, that, that effect that, that lots of revenue coming in and then some petering off uh, can be kind of a, like a lumpy bucketing issue with, right. with the sort of the, the, the froth, the rapids uh, of some members leaving, but new members also joining and replacing them, and ultimately doesn't fall deeply off of that trend line uh, until, until after November. Until, until essentially the start of this year. 2023 is where we see the really alarming numbers that for me, if I was executive director, um, would, would be existential challenges. Uh, we're talking months that have 70, 80, $90,000 of revenue on the month. Uh, the, the modern libertarian party uh, as, as I knew it and operated within it, uh, could not survive long on that revenue. Uh, and, and to the extent that the cash position of the party currently can improve in that revenue environment is indicative of the fact uh, that it's just not spending, that, there, that it's not running the projects, that it's not going out and doing trainings, that it doesn't have teams sitting doors in the field, that it is, so it's not doing the candidate support, it's not doing the you know, and because of quirks of the calendar, it's not doing the ballot access work. Uh, I, I don't imply that they're in any way derelict in a ballot access push they should be part of, but they're not doing big ballot access spending. Uh, nothing's going out the door, and uh, and they're and they're not building the strength for when they're going to need it uh, to to operate at anything like the level has part the party has operated in past years. Um, uh, so so that to me implies not a post-Reno exodus. That implies looking at the course that the LNC has chosen and, and members and donors staying with them at, you know, maybe slightly below some of those averages that you've, that you've laid there. But when you include the strong convention revenue, when you include a decent November, you have some low months in between, but that kind of, call it a low average. Uh, but then where you see the real, real alarming uh, trend is, uh, once people have had a chance to actually process some of the activity of that committee. Uh, and so you look at uh, things like Rage Against the War happening in, uh, I believe, January, uh, happening over the winter. You, you look at the lawsuits in Michigan that I know have, have been, uh, you know, anecdotally a reason that a lot of people have cited to me uh, for, for changing their, their view of, of supporting the national party and shifting support to candidates and state affiliates and other avenues of giving. Uh, you see, you see these unforced errors uh, that I know uh, we don't need to go into in elaborate detail. But it's people processing the actual activities of this committee and making a value judgment on the basis of that. I, I don't see the data reinforcing this idea that there was either an active, aggressive post-Reno purge, right. or that there was um, an active, uh, aggressive post-Reno knee-jerk withdrawal of support. Uh, it, what you see is you see a real alarming trend that we're right now in the middle of. That's not a post-Reno trend from almost right. a year ago, but that's a right now 2023 yeah. is projecting if this if if the numbers don't change. And I don't believe your report included April, but for those who are watching this, by the time that it hits April, 
uh, number. We had the April FEC report. We did yeah, have the April that FEC report. Okay, the April detailed financials are now out from the from the LNC, and and have another sub hundred thousand revenue month. Uh, and so, so the it, lowest it, lowest month on record uh, April on record. And, yeah, not the lowest month on record because it's higher than the last couple of months, right. which is good. Uh, it's uh, positive directionally, but again, just so far below the threshold of where the party needs to be that it ought to be alarming for anybody that expects the National Committee to be performing the kind of things that it has performed in, in, in modern times, in, in yeah. past cycles and in past years. Uh, it's, it's below its sustainable revenue level. Uh, yeah, and money in the bank is also another thing that we've heard narrative-wise when we put this report out is oh the lp or the lnc has more money in the bank and i think you touched on the reason why if you're doing less <laughs> right well where staff is at 50 almost at 50 percent right. of what it was pre before reno so you're doing right. less of course you're gonna have money in the bank the reason why people give to a political party is not so that money can sit in a bank it's to do things absolutely and this lnc is not doing there's 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 an amazing term in finance that I've always loved um, that, that I do not believe is strictly applicable here, but there's a there's a corollary uh, that may be applicable here. It's called a dead cat bounce. The idea is that if you drop a dead cat from high enough, it'll bounce uh, before after it hits the ground. And and it, you know when a business in the for profit sector and and it's worth noting that the LNC is not a for profit business, uh, but a business in in the for profit sector. Uh, Right before bankruptcy, sometimes you'll see the cash position improve dramatically. And that's because they've cut loose staff, they've stopped producing product, they've stopped paying vendors, but right. there's still money coming in the door for a little while. As you draw down operations, you can see a right. cat bounce, right? Now, the LNC is not a bankrupt organization. And and you shouldn't like I had to deal with this when I was executive director. Every financial uh, downturn in the party's health is the party is bankrupt. The party is broke. The party has money. Strictly not true. Uh, right. But uh, what is true is if you cut half of your staff costs, if you stop doing field work, if you don't have a political team anymore, if you're not doing ballot access work, if you're uh, if you're not doing trainings, if you're not working with candidates to provide that candidate support, if you've wound down all of those functional operations and you still have some donor base contributing, uh, even if it's far less than was contributing when you had products to, uh, projects to sell them on, uh, you can see that cash position improve. Uh, the challenge, as we talked about earlier, is that there will have to be ballot access work. There will ideally have to be candidate support work. You know, there, there is a point at which the party wants to have an impact and needs to mobilize money to do that. Uh, and if right. you don't have revenue coming in that can support that, then you're going to be relying almost solely on that reserve. Uh, and that, that obviously then disappears very quickly. And so that's that's not the position you want to see the party in. I'm happy to see it in a strong cash position, but you need revenue to operate. Uh, cash pays a bill once, right? Revenue pays it ongoing. Yeah. And, that's, uh, and that's where it needs to be. No, that's excellent, an excellent point. Okay, so uh, you want to jump into recommendations? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah, I, I wanted to make sure I hit on a few of those things uh, beforehand. Um, yeah, like, like I said before, kind of skimmed over it a little bit, but yes, listen to members, figure out exactly what, exactly what is going on with why members are leaving at the rate that they are, um, I think, uh, especially Knoxburg. lifetime members, lifetime members are people who have put in at least, you know, 1500, if they've done it recently, right. they've, they've, they, they're clearly going to be the people you call when you need to fundraise. Why are they leaving? These are people, these are the first people you call when you say, Hey, 
we've got a ballot access need. We've got a legal need. We've got a need for money. Can you help us out? And they're leaving. And so you got to figure out what's going on. What are the reasons for it? Um, recommendation two, addressing internal challenges. Again, we're going to rely on publicly available information here, but it's been a massive turnover since Reno, which is understandable. But the fact that there is a lot, still a lot of rumors about about a bad working culture, about um, not having the right tools or micromanagement by the LNC. These are all things that are kind of swirling around there. You want to have an environment that's positive to work in. Um, and, and I think it's focusing on that and making sure that that's the case. These accusations of sabotage and what have you, that's got to stop. That's that's That creates such a toxic work environment. It's it's truly unacceptable. It. it Leaders should never, ever do that publicly without proof. Like, yes, if you have proof of sabotage, put it out there, show it to everybody. Don't create this environment where all your staff are looking at it going, are you the saboteur? Are you the saboteur? Right. That's disgusting behavior and absolutely just has to stop, period. Like, there's just no, there's no acceptable place for it. Well, I want to emphasize for, for your audience on this podcast, too, uh, that that applies to past staff. That also applies to current staff, right? Uh, the, the staffers that are working now very hard for the party are doing the best they can yes. in the framework and yes. direction that the, the LNC has led them. Uh, a lot of people want staffers to have a lot more influence and control than they do. Even high-level staffers have directives that they have to follow. And it's worth noting how wildly inappropriate it would be for a high-level staffer to be out there publicly breaking with the leadership that that employs them. Uh, and yes. So, so, so it's, yes. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's something I would discourage uh, no matter what the condition is, you know, look to those who are who are actually representing the party, who are setting the tone for the party, who are setting the direction uh, for the party. If you think the party is moving in the wrong direction, uh, weaponizing that and turning it uh, against staff, certainly if you're in a leadership role, is wildly unprofessional and I think disqualifying. Uh, but even if you are just a, a rank and file member, uh, be better. Uh, it, it's it's not it's not staffs to be out there being your voice on these issues. If if you think the, the um, committee's going in the wrong direction, uh, you can provide that feedback to the committee. And if the committee's not responsive, you can direct uh, consternation towards them. Uh, but but that shouldn't be uh, that shouldn't be something that staff has to contend. Right. With. And to be very very clear, this is not an attempt to put the point finger at staff. I do not. Think I'm, I'm not suggesting that you. I know you aren't. I just want to be very clear that everyone knows that I am. This is not a staffing issue, folks. This is not the 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 environment that is created at National is not the staff's creation. They are the the pressure from above is what's is what's gonna cause that environment. Um, uh, moving on to recommendation number three: revitalizing major donor relationships. We saw what that bump did in November, where that one single donation made the difference and brought it up to average. Um, we need to we need to be actively out there. There, the LNC needs to be actively out there developing these relationships. They are finally recreating a fundraising committee, which we had in the past prior to Reno, but then it took a year before it to start up again. And we've had nine months of the worst fundraising in thirty years to do it. Why did it take so long for for this committee to get to get started? Is what I want to know. I guess. We're looking at the past and I don't, you know, I don't want to sit here and point fingers, but that's a big question mark about why it took this long to uh, to get this this committee restarted, because that's 
That's a, that seems like the obvious place to start. We've had a fundraising committee in the past. It was effective. We could see the results of their of their work. Why over the past year we haven't? That's pretty shocking uh, to me. So, uh, recommendation four: refocus messaging. Again, the point of messaging is: does it appeal to donors? Does it appeal to members? Does it appeal to voters? Does it appeal to candidates? And we're not seeing any of those things. Um, so, yes, is it nice that Twitter account has got a few more followers? It gets a few more likes. Great. But what does it really matter? It really matters what the real world impact of a messaging is. It matters whether you're getting voters, you're getting donors, you're getting members, and you're getting candidates. If you if you have if you have messaging that drives away good candidates, guess what? You're not getting all the voters that they would have brought in. And so if you're discouraging, if your messaging is actively discouraging good candidates, you're hurting top to bottom. You're hurting your membership, your donors, your 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 voters. Um, so I think that our the focus of messaging really should be uh, to 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 impact and have real world real world results. Um, seems pretty pretty straightforward to me. Uh, recommendation five: restoring customized candidate. This is one we've kind of touched on a little bit before about stopping some of the some of the training and going to the leadership institute. Um, the leadership institute does a good job for what they do, uh, but they don't really provide. And Tyler, I'd be interested in kind of your opinion on this. They don't really provide the same level of intimate training that that that. Uh, has been provided in the past that really kind of can handhold a libertarian candidate and say, here's what your goals need to be. Here's what you can look to accomplish. What would be a, you know, you're obviously not all libertarian candidates are running um, uh, to win, say. So what can what can you do that would be a win, that does move the party forward, that does move the libertarian message forward? Um, and that's something that they're not going to get from, from the Leadership Institute. Yeah, well, you know, Jonathan and, and Josh, I, I actually, as a young activist many, many moons ago, went through LI training. Uh, so so I've, I've done like their two-day training course intensive, and they're very good at what they do, and there are tremendous skills that can be picked up from an LI training. Those are going to be what I'm going to think of as like the brass tax politics, uh, you know, like activism 101. How, how do I how do I how do I table effectively? Right. What, how do I want to hit a door? How do I how am I effective? You know, as I'm talking to people on a quad with a clipboard in my hand, uh, how you know, those, those sort of uh, very basic, you know, here's how to be an effective activist. LI certainly had, and I imagine still has some very good targeted, like as good as what we would provide material on those subjects. Here's what LI is not going to do. LI is not going to talk to libertarian candidates about how to be libertarian candidates in this space. Uh, and there are really unique challenges that our candidates confront. Uh, you know, how do you how do you how do you make good strategic campaign decisions based on uh, you know how do you figure your win number in a the sort of races that our libertarian candidates oftentimes find themselves in? The, one of the most conventional races we find ourselves in would be a three way race where we're challenging a Democrat and a Republican. We have tons of candidates who run locally, and both this committee and the last committee had particular focus on local candidates in a way that outside organizations are not necessarily going to. But a lot of these candidates will run locally in a, you know, seven way pick three and how to uh, how to how to calculate your, you know, your win numbers, your persuade, identify your persuadable universe, how to do all those things in the environment that our candidates confront. Ally is not going to touch that with a 10 foot pole. 
And so the the advanced way that we and of course they're not going to tell our libertarian activists how to build our libertarian infrastructure either, which which presents a different set of challenges for our affiliates and our affiliate leaders. And so I don't want to give them short shrift to focus on candidates alone. But the uh, so there's there's value there, but it's different than the value that libertarians can provide when we train internally, uh, which is why we felt there was value to do internal trainings. Uh, and and this is my own personal disclosure of bias because we obviously did run a very vigorous internal training uh, during my tenure as executive director, um, spearheaded by the very talented Kara Schultz uh, and with a ton of staff buy-in and a ton of buy-in from other experts outside of staff to make that a really strong delivered uh, training across the regions and at the national convention. Uh, so, so if you think I am biased, I probably am because I thought there was tremendous value there. But that value, I think, is in the difference between what we offer our libertarian candidates specifically and our libertarian activists specifically and what a generic activist training would offer a generic activist. Well, and I feel like in the long run, too, there's it's probably more cost effective to have those capabilities inter inside the organization rather than having to rely on a contractor skilled up or down. I mean, it's a disappointing fact for me looking at 80 percent turnover, because my assumption is at this point that a lot of that capacity has been lost. Well, it ties into it ties into the earlier conversation about major giving, right? I, the, right. The, the trainings were able to be delivered to eight regions because of uh, you know a portion of that support came from small dollar enthusiastic giving from libertarian members across those regions who wanted to see training delivered to them. It also had very generous major donor support because it's something we could go talk to people Makes who could mobilize significant the resources, value add present the value of the program. Uh, and and uh, get them to contribute to delivering that value as a very concrete, fundable, deliverable. Uh, and so it, it, it had a uh, an element of being able for us to demonstrate value so that we can generate revenue. And at the end of the day, uh, you know that was those trainings were res revenue positive, uh, certainly revenue neutral at the very least. It was not a cost center uh, for the party to deliver those those regional trainings. It was Thank something that, that generated enough support to, to cover itself. Right. Think about it like this. If I'm calling up a donor, I'm saying, hey, I would like you to donate to us so we could send a candidate to training. Or are you saying, hey, I need you to donate to us so we can provide training. Right. That's the that's the difference here. And that's what you need. to. That's what the LNC needs to understand is that when they're saying we're outsourcing it. Well, why don't we just give to the candidate? The candidate can go buy their own training on their own or so. So the value add of saying we provide our own training, our own customized fundamental training to candidates is a value add that donors are looking for. Um, so yeah, uh, recommendation six, stop suing other libertarians. This is pretty simple. Um, whether it's the lawsuit in Michigan or it's the lawsuit in North Carolina or Virginia, I forget which one it is. They're suing some state in there. I think, um, yeah. I think it's Virginia. Yeah. Um, or New Mexico over the, the trademark, regardless of what it is, this isn't the way forward. Um, they're going to, there are a lot of people that are not going to donate to the Libertarian Party as long as they're as they have lawsuits against other Libertarians. There are other we ways literally we literally have former members or maybe even in some cases current members giving to a fund that is going to be uh, right the opposite case against the LNC. So I mean yep. that's absolutely crazy. Um, exactly. So you're you're double you're it's a double loss. Not only are you having to spend money, well it's triple loss. You're spending money to sue to, to pay for a lawyer. You are losing donations. Because people are are turning that against you, you are sending donations to the organization that is uh, paying for their own lawyer against you. So it's 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 just it's a lose lose lose. Um, 
and, and I understand relative- that these are tricky situations. I understand that, oh, bylaws and there. Get to the negotiating table. Get to the mediation table. Figure this out. Be adults. And, you know, merits notwithstanding, relevant to the financial situation alone, right. uh, the party is in a position right now where it has depleted its legal fund. Uh, FECT makes a distinction between a legal fund where giving to that fund does not count towards the Fed funds cap uh, for individual contributions within a calendar year. Uh, that fund uh, at points uh, was very well funded. Um, uh, again, as a result of targeted giving and cultivating relationships and and selling value, focusing on major gift, uh, the uh, that that's gone. But what that means is go forward. Any cost of of legal action is really going to be primarily funded with general fund dollars, which are the same dollars that need to be able to be mobilized to pay staff, to provide training, to do ballot access work, all of the to keep the lights on. You know, I all of the all of the all of those costs now associated with that are at a point where they're pretty much coming out of general funds. I I, I don't want to be inaccurate. I believe it was somewhere between two and three thousand uh, dollars on the April financial statement that, that was in the legal fund, which is certainly far less than what's been authorized uh, for just the, the legal action that's been authorized so far. So they're so taking general funds. That, that is not a sideshow to the financial picture. That's that's a direct expense that's going to be that's going to be now pulling out of out of general funds to cover it. Got it. That's that is good to know and frankly disturbing. Uh Brent, fewer secret meetings. This is again, we've heard a lot of reports about just how many secret meetings have been happening and rumors of its misuse. If you want to have, if you want to regain the trust of membership, they just kind of the more openness needs to be had, and more be more careful about what what these meetings are being used for and what's about being being talked about. Them. Um, I think for the Dallas Accord 2.0, read this section, guys. Uh, I think we may do a we may, maybe what we need to do is maybe we need to have somebody uh, from people from different caucuses come in and we discuss this section. And see if this is something that we can work towards because this is a plan that actually, and I haven't seen anybody else offer a tangible, real-world, actionable plan that says, "Hey, here's a way we can get the, make it so that everyone can, all libertarians can work together in the Libertarian Party." I haven't seen anybody else make this suggestion. We're throwing it out there. We're putting down the gauntlet to say, "Okay, let's let's figure out a solution. Let's figure out a path forward uh, that we can get past this partisan bickering and actually get things get things you know get to work together." Um, but I think we'll leave this one for uh, maybe a podcast on its own with a bunch of people from a bunch of different caucuses and, and parts of the Libertarian Party. I think that would be pretty fascinating. Um, so let's get down to the the final section, which I believe is what we can do. And first is join the Libertarian Party, donate to the Libertarian Party. Um, ultimately, that's what's going to get the party out of out of its current slump. Um, that's that's what's that's what's going to need to take. We aren't going to get we aren't going to turn the party around by sitting around and not doing something. We're going to have to get involved. So I encourage people, keep your membership active, get involved, figure out how to become a delegate. We've, you know, contact us at the CLC. We are organizing all over the place. We've got a great team uh, that's working on these things. And then we're going to be putting forward a lot of solutions, a lot of actionable items that we can actually put in place to uh, to make the party more professional, um, make the party successful, and ultimately figure out a path that we can actually grow the Libertarian Party because what, what's going on right now, the path, the direction that it's headed in is the opposite in nearly every way. <laughs> it's it's uh, the, 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 the data doesn't lie. It's pretty obvious the direction 
that the that the past year has set the party on and it doesn't doesn't appear that there's going to be much change in it soon so it's going to be up to us to actually get involved get involved and change it um i will i will make one one thing um i know that we got some criticism over this part about donating to, to the party even though we disagree with what some of those funds are being used for even to the ballot access funds which technically could be used uh, to do things like sue the Libertarian Party. If you can't stomach giving to the Libertarian National Party, give to the state affiliates. Um, they have, they all have needs. A lot of them have uh, ballot access needs. You saw the map from before. Figure out a way to give to them directly. Um, they need, they're going to need all the help they can, they can get. Especially going forward over the next year or two, with the Libertarian Party financially just not being in a in a good position, they're going to, they're going to, you know, those ballot access issues are going to continue. Especially as as the resources to fight those battles. Uh, deteriorate. So, um, yeah. Ultimately, join the CLC. That's the that's the solution, right, folks? Well, I mean, and I think that ties back to what you mentioned before. If you want to get involved in the Libertarian Party, one of the things that, after ten years of being involved in the Libertarian Party, that I found out, and as a former state chair, is that knowing where to start is very difficult, and it's really hard to figure out where to get plugged in, how to get plugged. In. It's different in different states, but at least in Tennessee, for example, we don't have ballot access. We're a smaller group, and so finding a place to actually get plugged in is very difficult. And I think that same story is, uh, is everywhere in many other states. So if you join the CLC, it's a really great pathway to find other people that are similar, like-minded to you in your state or in your area, find opportunities to get involved and get plugged in. And so uh, I'd say joining the CLC is a great path if you're looking to get involved in LP activism with like-minded people. Uh, You've so, got a great positive Discord that you can jump in. Even if you aren't a CLC member, there's a, there's an open part of the Discord. Love to see people there kind of start these conversations. They're, they're non-CLC members in the open chat area, and it's oh, yeah. always a great conversation. Yeah. No, we, we, we do have a really a lot of great, a lot of great conversations. It's, it's good. It's a good, healthy, positive environment, I think. So we, we try to try to keep it that way. The moderating team does a really good, a really good job of, of na navigating those fraught waters uh, as well. What, oh, one quick thing that I did forget about. Let's go down to the addendum real quick and take a look at some of these charts. We'll just glance over them. These compare. You know, this this these were in response to um it'll be down here at the bottom. But this this shows all the data that we use. So please, please oh, sorry, yeah, gotcha. So this shows this is re response to using the two-year cycle versus the four-year cycle. Again, you can see the two cycles there. The one on the left will be the two-year cycle, the one on the right will be the four-year cycle. It shows the same results. Yeah. The conclusion is the exact same. So you can criticize us for not using the methodology of your choice. Doesn't matter. Doesn't change anything. Doesn't really change anything. Um, same on these charts changes, too. Exactly. Same on okay. these charts too. Uh, left side is two-year cycle. Right is four-year cycle. You can still see. Okay, so if you do the four-year cycle, we're down by uh, five hundred and eighty thousand, as opposed, to, or we're down by four hundred. We're down by nearly five hundred thousand. You use the two-year cycle. We're down by nearly six hundred thousand. Yeah. It's the same. It's the same thing. Um, it shows the exact same um, same issues. So ultimately that's ultimately that's really what this report was trying to, to convey is the actual real world state of the party. I think we conveyed that. I know that a lot of people didn't like our methodology. Again, do your own methodology on this. We released all of the report, all of the data that we used is on there. It's sourced. Feel free to do with it what you want. Um, but we wanted to start a conversation about how to turn things around because things need to be turned around. Hopefully everyone felt uh, this was a good discussion. Hopefully we answered a lot of questions. Uh, like in our, I mentioned our Discord, I did ask in our Discord for people to uh, throw out questions to this for this podcast to kind of take a look at. I appreciate Tyler and Josh for coming on. Do you guys have any other? Yep. No, I, 
no, thank you for your work and putting this together, Jonathan. I think you we had a bunch of people in. working on it. So it was, I, we had a whole team for several, a month. It took us about a month to get all the data together from all different sources. I, mean, I was, I was calling executive directors from 20 years ago. on some of this stuff. So. I think it's, I think it's really important because <laughs> transparency is hard to find in the current LNC. And this is a great service that uh, I think is really important. So again, thanks again for that. And thanks to all the GLC team. And thank you for your time, Tyler. Great job. Yeah, well, I, want, I want to thank you guys for having me on. Uh, yeah, I always me. have fun digging through numbers. Uh, I will echo the thanks for your team who did, did an incredible job pulling everything together. Not, not just the amount of work that it takes to compile a report like this, which I understand all too well, uh, but also the, the level of transparency, Josh, like you said, um, being very open and upfront with where your decision points were, what decisions you made so people could agree or disagree with them in terms of how you handled the data, and ultimately opening up and making the data set available to people uh, so that they could uh, look at it and, and make their own conclusions. That's an incredibly transparent way to do it. Um, and, and also, I'll point um, credit both to, to you guys for reaching out uh, in advance uh, to give an advance preview to, to the LNC uh, so that this isn't a gotcha blindside. Uh, and uh, as I understand it, to, to Todd Hagopi and the LNC treasurer for reaching out and giving you guys um, advance notice of his response. That level He responded very quickly, and I can't think of it. We, we had originally yeah. planned on releasing the report about a week prior. Um, and, and giving the LNC more than a couple of days to respond. Thankfully, they responded really quickly and we were able to kind of address those issues. Um, but I, yes. I personally find that level of collaborative spirit and coordination, yeah. even if you guys have very uh, sharp disagreements sure. over the methodology, uh, that uh, that that level of, of professional courtesy is really heartening for somebody like me who cares a lot about professionalism within our space to see. Right. So right. And to yes. talk. Uh, well deserved credit. And I, around. for the record, I did. I also sent. I sent the report to the LNC uh, early. I also sent it to uh, the Radical Caucus. I also sent it to uh, 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 Heiss as well. I sent it beforehand to pretty much everybody I could think of that was in the space and threw it out there. Um, but I was very appreciative that the LNC did respond. Uh, well, certainly- some a little more snarky than others. I can <laughs> let you guess. Who were the, who's those, uh, those, uh, Starks were from. Certainly. Thank you to you guys. And thank you to your team for doing the hard work to get this out. Um, uh, whatever conclusions, uh, others may draw from the report. I think it has started a very important conversation that we need to be having as libertarians. We're halfway through this LNC term. Uh, things have not just gotten, uh, you know, just gotten started. We're, we're, we're in the in the thick of it, and it's important that we, as members uh, who are active and engaged within the party, have this dialogue about the direction things are going, and yes. and whether we think things are on the right track or the wrong track. I, I I can't see how that harms, and can only see how that benefits the party. And then lastly, I'll just thank anybody who is still here watching uh, at the end of this like feature length <laughs> podcast. Yeah, by the way, longest, so. longest podcast episode ever. I, I'm very pleased to have had that honor. I don't know if we if we hit like a compelling three act structure uh, to hold everybody's attention, but I really uh, appreciate anybody that was interested in enough in engaging in that really important and valuable conversation to have gone the distance with us. So thank you guys again for having me on. Thank All you guys. Good. Thanks for everyone for watching. Yeah, let's close it out. Thanks everybody. Have a great day. <laughs>